Please turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we continue to make our way through the gospel of Luke. Yesterday I was in the car and uh, traveling good distance, in a little five-hour, six-hour car drive, and I was thinking through what I wanted to communicate this morning, and, and, and as I, I did so, I felt myself growing drowsy. I thought, that can't be a good sign. So, and then I remember last week we talked about, I don't need signs, I need a Savior, so I pray that God would help us this morning. Luke chapter 11, we're beginning uh, verse 33 this morning, so if you'd stand with me, if you're able, in honor of God, as we read his word, Luke chapter 11, looking at verses 33 through 36, it says, Jesus is speaking, he says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. You may be seated, you may be encouraged through God's word this morning. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for our time together this morning to worship you and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Allow the truth of your word to be a light unto us, shining in a dark place. We pray that you would open our hearts, and we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Don't be evil. Don't be evil. In 2001, Google adopted that as its unofficial slogan, don't be evil. It was short, memorable, a little smug, <laughs> and oh so very, very hard to follow. Critics of Google quickly seized upon the slogan every time Google did something that they deemed to, to not be right. They would say, look, you're, you're violating your corporate slogan, unofficial slogan. You're, you're being evil. Perhaps the most prominent example of this was in 2006. That year, Google announced that it was partnering with the Chinese government to introduce Google China, the search engine in, in mainland China. And what Google had to admit is that they were agreeing to allow the Chinese government to, to censor what searches would be able to be done on the Google search engine. And human rights activists rightly recognized, look, you're allowing the Chinese government to suppress information about dissidents to the, to the people in China. Google's CEO, Eric Schmidt, responded. He said, well, actually, we did an evil scale, and we determined that to not do business at all there would be the worse evil. In other words, the new unofficial slogan is, don't be too evil, or don't be as evil as you could be. It was interesting to see Google and, and China's relationship kind of deteriorate. Google accused the Chinese government, I believe rightly, of being too totalitarian and, and invading their privacy and doing some, some bad practices. But what really interested me, and by the way, I found this all out by using Google, um, <laughs> what interested me was that the Chinese government, as it defended itself, accused Google of being evil for what? 
for being a, a, basically a, a distributor of pornography. And I think the Chinese government had a point there too, right? Don't be evil. It's an easy thing to say, but oh so very hard to live by as we live in a world engulfed in darkness. And so often we find as we want to not be evil, as we want to be a source of light, we look within ourselves and find what? Darkness. Let me remind you where we are in the Gospel of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, look down at Luke. And last week, we began in verse 29. And we saw that there were a group of people asking Jesus for a sign. And Jesus responds to this group of people that are asking him for a sign. He says, look, a characteristic of an evil generation is that it asks for a sign. You, by asking for a sign, are demonstrating your own evilness, your own wickedness. He's going to tell them that no sign is going to be given to them except the the sign of Jonah, which was the death and resurrection of Jesus. No sign was going to be given to this generation except the most stupendous sign ever given to man. God himself becoming flesh, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, and coming to life again. The central event And all of human redemptive history was going to be given to this generation. And this generation was going to look at that central event and go, eh, you got anything else? This generation was already revealing their wickedness by hearing Jesus' teaching and failing to respond to it. Jesus was broadcasting the truth, was proclaiming light to them, and the generation in which he was ministering failed to acknowledge that as truth. They saw the light of Jesus' teaching, and there was something so wrong with them spiritually that they were unable to process it. They were unable to see the light. And because they were unable to process the truth of God's words spoken by Jesus, they failed to to recognize who he was, and failed to see the light of God that he was so graciously providing. Don't be evil is a very easy thing to say, but it's a very hard thing to live. And God doesn't just call us to be passively not evil. God calls us to be proactively good. Jesus says that we are to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. You and I are to be sources of light in a dark, dark world. We are to be not just kind of like these these uh, little cheap glow-in-the-dark toys that were around in the 80s, you know, that I had these little glow-in-the-dark shoelaces and you'd, you'd go in the closet and, and, and shut the door and say, well, I... I think something might be glowing down there. Uh, God calls us to be these like billion-watt light bulbs broadcasting his glory in a dark, dark world. And yet what happens? As you and I go into the workplace and we try to be a light, we find that we're engulfed in darkness. As you and I try to be a light in the life of our spouse, we find ourselves engulfed in darkness. As you and I go to school with with the objective of proclaiming Jesus Christ to our friends, as we begin to live in the school environment, we find ourselves not broadcasting God, not showing his light, but being engulfed by the darkness. So often, we try to not be evil, 
We look within ourselves for light and find only more darkness. What we see in this text this morning is that darkness does not defeat darkness. Darkness is simply engulfed by darkness. What combats darkness? And this, I believe, is the main point of what Jesus is saying here. Light defeats darkness. And the light that we need is not a light that we can naturally produce within ourselves and naturally understand. The light that we need, the light that combats darkness, is a light that we receive from Jesus Christ. And what I want to look at this morning with you as we look at Luke 11, verses 33 through 36, what I want to look at with you is are four principles that help us understand the source of light and how to emanate, how to, how to glow in dark places. Let's go ahead and look at the first principle that we see here in the text. The first principle that we see regards the, the source of light, how we get this light that we desperately need if we're going to shine, if we're going to glow in the dark places. The first thing we see, number one, is we find light in God's Word. We find light in God's Word. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 33. He says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar under a basket, but, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. What is Jesus saying? No one goes to the trouble of, of finding a lamp, putting oil in it, and lighting this lamp in order to, to put it underneath a basket or to put it in an area of the house in, in which no one can see it. The purpose of, of putting light in a place is, is for others to be able to see light in dark places. I mentioned last week that my children went with my parents. All four kids went with my parents on a trip to uh, the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. And uh, my parents very wisely, I, I may have mentioned this last week, my parents very wisely didn't tell me everything about this trip before they went. Uh, they mentioned they were staying in a cabin and knowing my parents, I thought, okay, a cabin, you know, the kind of this little cabin, you know, this campground. And no, uh, they went to a cabin that was basically in the middle of nowhere. And the more I heard about it, the, the, the afterwards or right before they left, the more concerned I became. So they'd kind of let little things slip, like, yeah, we were talking to our doctor and told them that there wouldn't be a hospital within a couple hours. And I said, what, really? And then they said, right before they left, they're talking to the kids, and they're like, now kids, you don't need to bring a lot of electricity and electrical items and stuff because the generator will only be on a couple hours a day. I, what? What do you need a generator for? What, where are you taking my children? Okay. Now, they took flashlights and all these, these different uh, instruments to, to light the house during the times the generators would be off. There were batteries and things like that. But they were very careful with the light that they had because the light was this precious resource. Whenever you build a home, you don't put all the lights in your house in the closet. You distribute the lights throughout the places where people are going to be so that light shines in dark places. That's what Jesus is literally saying here. He's saying, look, a person, whenever they light a lamp, they do so in order to shine light to people who, who come into the place where the light is. You don't, you don't put it in this dark, secluded corner that no one's going to have access to. Now, what is he communicating spiritually what Jesus is saying is, it's absurd for you to ignore the light of my teaching. The people that have just asked Jesus for a sign are behaving in a very foolish way. 
the purpose of Jesus' teaching is not to be ignored and, and put off to the side and said, okay, what else do you have, Jesus? The purpose of Jesus' teaching is to shine a light in dark places. God's word to you and to me is to be a source of joy and a source of truth. You and I are to come to God's word in order to find truth. Jesus is God's word. Jesus is saying, as you hear God's word, you're to respond rightly to it. How do you and I find truth? We find our truth in the light of God's word. I want to read you something Jonathan Edwards wrote about whenever he became, I believe this is whenever he became a believer shortly thereafter. He's talking about his, his interaction with God's word. He said, I had the greatest delight in the Holy Scriptures, of any book whatsoever. Oftentimes in reading the Bible, every word seemed to touch my heart. I felt a harmony between something in my heart and those sweet and powerful words. I seemed often to see so much light exhibited by every sentence and such a refreshing food communicated that I could not get along in reading, often dwelling long on a single sentence. I saw the wonders contained in it, and yet almost every sentence seemed full of wonder. Don't you love that? I seemed often to see so much light exhibited by every single sentence. The believer who desires to be a light in a dark place understands that there's a place in which they can find the light that they need. And it's not internal. It's found in God's Word through the work of His Holy Spirit. A lot of people that you encounter are going to disagree with that statement. A lot of people, whenever you tell them, look, I go to God's Word and I find it a precious thing and I find God's light in Scripture, a lot of people are going to look at you and say, I don't see that. I disagree. In fact, last Sunday night I was going to talk about some of the, the objections that, that people have to understanding God's Word as a source of, of light. And, and let me just talk about two objections that you're going to encounter very frequently in our culture as you tell people, I find light in God's Word. One objection I call, I call the literal straw man. Now, what I mean by that, I don't mean the straw man is literal. I mean that they make a straw man out of what we say about Scripture being literal. Does that make sense? I really like that phrase, but it doesn't make sense when I try to say it out loud. I'm going to stick with it, though. Let me explain what I mean by the literal straw man. Whenever you say, I believe that I can find truth in God's Word, and people go, ah, what about, what about the, the fact that you don't interpret Scripture literally? You say you do, but you don't really. In other words, people say, uh, when, you, when you say, I find truth in God's Word, they say, well, you say that you believe that God's Word is literally God's Word, but you don't follow all the commandments in it, do you? You don't live like the people did in the Old Testament. You don't stone disobedient children. You don't uh, sacrifice animals still. You say you believe that the Bible is literally God's Word, but you don't act like it. Now, there's a lot of ways you can respond to that. Let, let me give you just one illustration. Uh, let's say that I'm, I go home and uh, I, I encounter my children 
And uh, one of my children is uh, dancing on the table, uh, doing a little Irish jig right there on the kitchen table. And I, I look over and I see that, that my wife has had a rough day and she's not feeling very well. And in fact, she's, she's, she's ill and she's laying on the couch. She's trying to sleep. And uh, my son is dancing an Irish jig on the table. And uh, my daughter has a, a big pot and a big spoon and she's about to start beating on this, 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 uh, this pot with her big wooden spoon. And I, I look at my son and I say, uh, don't do that. Your mom is trying to rest. She's not feeling well. You, you need to cut that out, okay? No more Irish jigs on the kitchen table. Besides, we're Scottish. And so he, he stops, all right? Now, uh, my daughter looks at me, and she starts banging on the pot, all right? Now, am I going to be upset at her as well? Well, of course. She should have done what? She should have listened to what I said to my son and recognized the truth contained in those words. Those words were literally the words of her father, and there's an expectation upon her that she's going to listen to what I say to her brother, and I'm going to expect her to apply it in her life. She should understand as she hears me talk, ah, dad cares about mom, dad cares about what we're doing right now, and I need to behave in a quiet fashion. She can't say, well, you didn't tell me not to bang on the pot. Now, here's what we understand about God's Word is contained in Scripture. As I go to the Old Testament, I find words that were written to a different audience than myself. And yet, as I go to those words contained in Scripture, I don't say, well, that's not really God's Word. I don't have to listen to that. No, I go to God's Word, and I read it, and I say, ah, this isn't commanded specifically to me. I'm not the specific audience that this is addressing, but I hear the voice of my heavenly Father in these words. And as I read them, I I understand more about God, and I understand more about his character. And I know as I hear what he tells other people to do and how he holds a holiness to a high standard, I understand how I am to live in a holy way. I was talking to a pastor just recently, a very sad conversation, and we had a very different understanding about the ability to find light in God's Word. And he said this statement, he goes, hey, all of us are inconsistent. <laughs> all of us are inconsistent in applying Scripture. None of us can follow the Bible literally. I said, ah, I think that's a very sad way to live. Yes, all of us are inconsistent, but my goal is to be more and more consistent as I find light in God's and truth in God's Word and live in the way that He's called me to live. Another objection that you're going to have is people tell you you can't find light in God's Word. The other thing that people are going to do is, is uh, do what I call kind of the, the postmodern hermeneutic, the postmodern way of interpreting Scripture. The postmodern man and woman are, are very skeptical of our ability to understand truth. Uh, postmoderns are very skeptical of our ability to make broad truth claims. And there's been some, some good uh, cautions from, from postmodern thinking, but, but by and large, it's been very harmful as it's interacted with Scripture. 
You see, there used to be kind of the, 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 the time in which a person believed that you could ascertain, you could figure out what the meaning of the author was in the text. So an, an author writes something down and, and disseminates it, and, and we look at what the author wrote down, and we figure out what the author was trying to communicate. Then there became the age where we ignored the author, and we just simply looked at the text. We said, okay, it doesn't matter what the author wanted to say. What does the text actually say? Well, now in our postmodern world, we've entered this, this new weird phase where it doesn't matter what the author wanted to say. It doesn't matter what the text itself says. What matters is what I want it to say. I'm the ultimate arbiter of, of what truth is for me. And so if I want a text to say something as a, as a feminist or as a, as a Marxist or as a, an evangelical or whatever I want the text to say is what I can get the text to say. It's a very dangerous way to approach God's Word. And we know, of course, we know, of course, that we can find truth in the text, and we know that meaning can be communicated, not just any meaning, but the meaning that God intends. I told this story last Sunday night as I was talking about kind of this postmodern thought of interpreting Scripture. I, I told the story, and this is kind of a, a rough paraphrase of it, but D.A. Carson, who's a professor at a seminary near Chicago, uh, tells the story about how he was interacting with a young lady in one of his uh, seminars. She was a doctoral student. And this young lady heard him talk about our ability to understand truth as contained in Scripture, and she began to argue with him. And she said, no, 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 you can't understand truth. Truth is relative to each person. You can't hope that you're, you have the ability to communicate truth to another person. D.A. Carson decided to have a little fun with her, and he said, ah, I see what you're doing. You're being sarcastic. You're communicating to me that you can understand truth by being sarcastic and saying that you can't. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm telling you, you cannot communicate truth. And then she got a little angry. And he goes, ah, you're still being sarcastic, but you're adding emotion to your appeal. That's very clever. And she becomes even more and more angry with him. And finally, she's yelling at him. And he goes, ah, you see what you're doing? You want to tell me that we can't understand truth is found in Scripture because we can't understand God's meaning, but when I do the same to you, you become very offended. The postmodern mindset reminds me of a, of a child sitting on the floor with his fingers in his ears going, no, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. It's our ability to say as we come to Scripture, you know what? I can't understand it. I can't hear it. If you want to be a light in a dark place, it begins by going to the source of, of light as found in God's Word. Find light in God's Word. Secondly, as we think about being a light in a dark place, secondly, you and I must understand how truth is received. We must understand how truth is received. Look at verse 34. In verse 34, Jesus says, your eye is the, the lamp of your body. Your, your eye is that, that means through which light enters your body and you have the ability to, to process and understand what's going on around you. Your eye is the, the lamp of your body. 
When your eye is healthy, when your eye is well, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Uh, when you have a, a healthy eye, it has the ability to, to perceive what's going on around it. When your, body is, uh, when your, when your uh, eye is not healthy, your body doesn't have the ability to, to process the information that's going on around you as clearly. I was reading some articles last week about, I was trying to think about it, what's it like to be, to be blind? You know, what is it, how are you able to, to process? And, and, and I wanted to hear uh, blind people kind of speaking in their own words. And so I read some articles, and, and what I found is that, that generally people in our culture today who are, are blind uh, want to first of all communicate that they're very capable of existing in our society without uh, being uh, overly, um, i trying to think of the right term to use here, without Without, being, uh, without people being overly sensitive to it or, or feeling like they're, they're somehow uh, less capable human beings. And, but they acknowledge that we still live in a very sight-oriented culture. It was far more the case in Jesus' day. A person who, had the, who didn't have the ability to, to process light and be able to, to see things clearly was at a great disadvantage and was even in danger of starvation, depending on how bad their eyesight was, if they didn't have the ability to, to work and exist in this culture. When your eye is healthy, Jesus says, literally, you have the ability to, 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 to see things clearly. You know, I, I uh, wear glasses constantly. The first thing I do, I should probably be careful. Let's step back here. Uh, no, it's that, not that bad. Boy, yeah. Um, this is better. Um, when you're, when, the first thing I do in the morning, first thing, put on the glasses. Last thing I do at night, take off the glasses. Why? Because I, I want to, to be able to, to see things clearly and be able to, to process information. Now, what's true spiritually is this. For many people, their spiritual perception is off. You ever notice that you can open up Scripture, and when your heart is right before God, you can come to a very difficult passage, maybe a passage that talks about God's judgment. And you read the words that, that deal with God's judgment, and you hear about how God is going to deal with sin. And, and when your heart is right before God, you read those words, and, the, and they're like life to you. They're, they're God's light, and, and you read those things, and, and your heart is softened, and, and you, you, you cry on repentance, and, and you love what you read in God's Word. But when your heart is, is hard, or if you talk to someone else about the same words that you've just read, they read exactly what you've just read and come with a, with a far different perception of it. Where you've seen God's mercy, they see an unloving God. Where you see God's grace in proclaiming his coming judgment, they see a, 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 a God who's not caring at all. You both read the same text and then come to wildly different conclusions because of your ability to perceive spiritual truth. You need to understand how truth is received. Truth isn't received by just simply opening up your Bible and saying, okay, truth, hit me. There are things that need to be true of us spiritually for us to be able to process these truths, to be able to process God's Word. Jesus says that a person whose eye is healthy can understand God's Word. Their whole body can perceive this truth and receive the light. But when the eye is bad, when the spiritual perception is off, the body is full of darkness. 
Let me give you some steps that I believe are helpful to understanding Jesus' teaching, steps that help us receive God's truth. Number one, I, I believe it's necessary to be saved. Number one, I believe it's necessary for a person to have a relationship with God in order to truly understand the things of God. Let me read a, a little bit from Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, I came to you, and I, I came to you, but I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrating, demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he says, he goes on and he talks about how people can understand the things of God. He says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? You know, no one can understand what you're thinking. The only one that understands what you're thinking is you. That's why communication is important, right? So also, this is important, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. No one knows what God is thinking except God. Now, we have received, verse 12, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You and I have been given the Holy Spirit in order to understand the truth. And a person who's not a believer cannot understand these truths of God. Now, first of all, understand a person becomes a believer by recognizing that they're a sinner, recognizing that they're, they've done things to displease a holy God and are in line of, of God's wrath and his judgment, and they recognize that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in their place, rose from the dead, and a person places his or her faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And once a person becomes a Christian, they have a, a new nature, and the Holy Spirit lives within them. I used to think this passage in 1 Corinthians 2 meant like an unbeliever had no hope of even being able to articulate truths in the Bible, and we know that that's, that's not the case. However, an unbeliever, no matter how well he or she understands intellectually the things in the text, they don't have the ability to perceive them spiritually to implement them in their lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, this is in uh, 1 Corinthians 2 still, he says, we impart, this is verse 13, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. The person who's not a believer hears the truth in God's Word and can intellectually understand it, but they hear about this, this concept of, a, of a, a sovereign God. They hear about this concept of how this sovereign God desires us to live. They hear the teaching of Jesus, and they hear His call to righteousness. They see the light in God's Word, and they say, that doesn't make sense to me. That can't be right. They cannot 
receive the things of God because they do not have the Spirit of God. That's why as you hear a person give their testimony, one of the things you hear over and over again from people who become Christians is this, I used to find no delight in God's Word, I became a believer, and suddenly God's words were so precious to me. Why is that? Because a believer has the Spirit of God residing within him or her that helps them understand the truths of God. This morning, if you have no desire to read God's Word, no desire to hear God's Word, and can't see the truth in God's Word, I have a hard time believing that you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. You understand, we're talking about how to understand how the truth is, how you need to understand how the truth is received. It begins by becoming a believer. You also, as you think about receiving the truth, not only must be a believer, but you must engage in, in prayer. In the book of Ephesians, listen to what Paul writes. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, verse 15, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love toward all the saints, and I, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you, in my, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, let's pray that God would give them, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Do you want to have hope of, of walking in dark places with the light of God, being this, this glow-in-the-dark, having this glow-in-the-dark ability, glow-in-the-darkness ability? It begins by being a believer, and it continues by praying that God would reveal his truths to you. The third thing you need to do here is thinking about how to understand how the truth is received. You need to be a believer. You need to be praying. You need to be praying for yourself and for others to understand God's truth. You also need to be reading it. You need to be reading God's Word, immersed in it, trying to understand it. Sometimes uh, people find Scripture very intimidating. There's so many books, and there's so much history, and there's so many things I, I don't understand. And I encourage you to, to uh, search out God's Word and search out tools that can help you understand God's Word and, and talk to people about how it's laid out. My friend of mine in the neighborhood was just talking to me about how he uh, was was going to a class that just explained to him what the 66 books of the Bible were and, and when they were written. And, and he said, I have such a, a deeper understanding now of, of how what I'm reading fits into the context of all of God's Word. Sometimes uh, people will tell me, they say, um, and I, I think they mean this as a compliment, but they say, sometimes I, I don't know, I don't know if I could ever get out of the Bible what you get out of it, which could really be taken two ways. <laughs> I think they mean it nicely but I hope it's not true either way. I hope that what I'm doing is something that, that any person who's committed to understanding God's Word can do. Now, I don't just uh, wake up Sunday morning and, and flip to a text and say, uh, I'd like to understand this, God. Please help me. I, sp I spend a lot of time during the week trying to, to mine the truths out of God's Word. And if you're going to understand God's Word as well, that's what it takes. 
going to the text and, and reading it and reading it again and reading it again and reading texts around it and immersing yourself in God's Word. And it's a process that, that never ends. There's kind of three steps that some have encouraged as, as you think about studying the Bible. Let me just kind of give those to you as you think about reading God's Word. One, you observe it. You observe it, you read it again and again, you observe what's there. Secondly, you begin to interpret it. What does this mean? You, you observe the text first, and then you try to interpret it, and then you apply it, right? Okay, so again, we're talking about how, understanding how truth is received. We, we must uh, be a believer to truly receive God's light. We need to pray that God would reveal himself to us. We need to read the text. And finally, I'd encourage you, you need to be in community with other believers. The way that cults start is someone gets kind of a, a bright idea about how to interpret a text. It's very important for us as believers to be in community with other believers and to understand the, the historical understanding of a, of a text and, and have other believers speak to us and, and help us process what we're reading Two more things that we want, I want to get through here as we talk about glowing in the dark. The third thing we need to do is to, to watch out for the dark. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus says, Therefore be careful, watch out, lest the light in you be darkness. There's a, a danger to walking around in the darkness. And Jesus says, look, you need to be careful that your eye isn't bad. And so often we believe that our spiritual perception is right, and yet we're walking around in the darkness. And my suggestion to you this morning is there are probably areas of your life in which you've grown complacent. You've been satisfied walking around in darkness. God's word to you is watch out, be careful. J.C. Ryle, as he's talking about, uh, this is a book I've recommended before, a book called Holiness. And he, he's talking about our need to have holiness and, and to watch out for dark things in us. And he, he says this, suppose for a moment that you were allowed to enter heaven without holiness what would you do? What possible enjoyment could you feel? To which of all the saints would you join yourself? And by whose side would you sit? Their pleasures are not your pleasures. Their tastes are not your tastes. Their character, not your character. How could you possibly be happy if you had not been holy on earth? If you like the world, well, worldliness isn't going to be in heaven. Do you dislike other believers? You're not going to have any other company in heaven. <laughs> do you find praying, J.C. Ryle says, do you find praying and, and Scripture reading dull? Well, heaven is, is one unending time of, of worship, and whatever we're engaged in, we're simultaneously engaged in, in perfect worship. Watch out for the dark in your life. Watch out for those areas in which you've not held up to the light of Scripture to understand whether or not you're walking in the light. Fourth, fourth thing here that Jesus says, verse 36, fourth thing he's going to say is to live fully in the light. Live fully in the light. Jesus says, if then your whole body is full of light. 
you have good eyes, you're able to, to perceive things rightly spiritually. He says, if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Remember what he said in verse 33? He says, no one goes to the trouble of lighting a lamp to, to stick it in a cellar or underneath a basket. He says, if your spiritual perception is healthy and you're able to receive light from my teaching, light from me, you are going to be able to be placed in dark places and just radiate, glow, exude light. We're about to take communion together as a church, and at this time I'd like the, the men to begin to make their way toward the, the sides here. I want the rest of us to think very carefully about what Jesus is saying here. Remember, he's been responding to people who were asking for a sign, and he says, your hearts are wicked. You're not receiving the truth. You're not recognizing the value that the truth has. During the French Revolution, it's said that there were some people that were Christians who were placed in a dungeon, and one of the prisoners in that dungeon had a Bible, and there was only one light in this dungeon coming from a, a window very high up, and, and only for a few minutes every day would the light hit the window in just the right way in which some light would come into that cell, and one of the prisoners was able to stand on the, the shoulders of another prisoner and hold the light the Bible just right up to the light and read the Bible for a few minutes a day. And those few minutes a day were so precious to the prisoners, the prisoner was able to read it and then come down into the darkness and shine God's light. Do we view God's word that way? Do we see Jesus as our source of truth that allows us to shine light in dark places? I want you to ask God as we prepare our hearts for communion to, to show, ask God to show you the dark places in your heart. What are those areas that you've refused to allow the, the teaching of Jesus to shine? What are those, those places in your heart that you've, you've kept concealed, not just from others, but you've kind of thought you're kind of concealing them from yourselves and, and even from God? Ask God to shine the light in those areas so that you could find light in his word, you could understand how his truth is received, you could watch out for those dark places and live fully as an instrument of light. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to partake of communion, we ask that you would open our hearts to you. We know that it's impossible apart from faith in your son Jesus to understand you rightly, and so we pray first and foremost for faith in him. We pray that as our, our trust is in him alone for our salvation, you would make yourself known to us and help us to be light in dark places. Prepare our hearts. Forgive us of our sins. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.